and welcome to Within the Mist, a dark and shadowy place for cryptids, ghosts, and the paranormal. Today, I have a special guest, a digital creator, an artist, and a sculptor of some of the most amazing paranormal products, Mike Porter. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, I'm glad you can make it because before we start, I have to say it's been quite a hectic day. So you'll have to excuse me if I'm a little scatterbrained. Um, <laughs> yeah, it seems Bigfoot was throwing a temper tantrum at his parents. I'm I'm guessing that's why they call him a Sasquatch. <laughs> right on. <laughs> and so uh, we met at a conference where you had a table set up with some of your products. And they're very amazing that you've designed and constructed yourself. I kind of wanted to get an idea of how you got started as an artist to begin with. Sure. Um, so when I was growing up, I was very sickly. Um, I was in the hospital until I was five years old. And so um, I did nothing but sort of lay in bed and read books. And that just kind of fueled my imagination. And um, I, because I was sickly, I was also not doing sports much so i would lay around in the house just doodling and at some point it just caught the bug um from a very early age i wanted to be a scientist and then i realized that there was a lot of like math involved in that so um i decided then i wanted to be an artist after i um kind of made the deduction that math wasn't my strong suit but doodling was so that's great so how old were you at that time uh i would say probably about seven or eight Wow. Yeah. So you started at a very young age, which I guess is pretty common for those who are artistically minded. They recognize that right off the bat. Yeah. And then you, uh, so you were doing artwork all throughout high school and into college. Yeah. It's funny in high school. Um, so I worked for my father. My father had a lawn and tree service. And so I would work with him on the weekends and sometimes after school. And so, um, there's many times that I would fall asleep in class. <laughs> so again, I wasn't the best student, uh, which is ironic considering my current um, profession. But um, I would fall asleep in class. And then uh, I got into working at the library and I loved reading books. And I thought that was great. But they would have me do their um, bulletin boards every year. And so I would draw all these big pictures that we have massive bulletin boards, uh, court boards. And I would um, draw them with like uh, markers and, and pastels. And then we would do like the laminating and all that stuff. So I, I did a lot of like creative stuff um, when I was in like uh, high school in particular. I started getting less and less sick. So I was able to play sports and all that stuff. But that was one of the highlights is uh, because I was like not doing well in class. Sometimes the librarians would come pull me out of class to actually <laughs> do artwork and the teachers would just let me go they're like well he's not doing anything here so you know go <laughs> ahead so i got really lucky I, I, it was amazing that the teachers um understood that i wasn't passionate about what i was studying I, i'm i was passionate enough to get a grade but i wasn't really trying to um be academically inclined at all because I, I was bored and I would rather be doing something fantastic or, you know, like either drawing or painting or, or, um, you know, reading a book. And I had the, I had the, um, comprehension skills to, to learn everything. It's just that I was, I, I didn't want to do it, you know? <laughs> so. 
No, I totally understand. Now, so you kept going. I mean, you hold uh, the actual degrees in artwork. Is that correct? Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. So um, I, I wanted to make games. I wanted to make video games. And of course, when I started, there was not a whole lot of people that were doing it. But here in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where I'm from, um, there was a couple of company companies. There was Terminal Reality, which made like... Um, Terminal Velocity and Hellbender and Monster Truck Madness and a bunch of different pro Microsoft products. And um, there was also 3D Realms, which made Duke Nukem. And, oh. there was, and there was Id, who made Doom. So there was three amazing companies here. And in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm not going to be ever be good enough to get to Id because Id's the, the standard. Um, and I didn't know about Terminal Reality. And I t contacted this company called uh, 3D Realms, who made duke nukem and, and they had published terminal velocity and what i said is i really loved how at the time where doom came out and it was it was a 2d 3d game you know it was 2.5d i should say um so you could look up and down and all that stuff but it was all you know flat images um but terminal velocity around that same time period came out with a fully 360 space shooter so you would fly in space and go over terrain and there were 3d models so it was actually really um pretty fantastic what they were able to accomplish back in the early 90s um the owner of the company and, and the main programmer is named mark randall and he actually worked for bruce atwick and associates who made the very first flight simulator for microsoft okay yeah so um i contacted 3d realms and said hey i'd like the job and they're like well we don't we don't have any jobs. And I was like, but I really love terminal velocity. And they're like, Oh, well then you need to talk to terminal reality. Those guys are looking for people. And so I contacted them and I said, Hey, looking for a job as an artist. And they're like, we don't have any positions as an artist. Can you do level design? I said, absolutely. No problem. I didn't even know what it was. I was going <laughs> to say, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> so, um, like frantically, and this is back in the old dial-up days, right? So frantically, like searching on the internet, the very limited internet to try to figure out what a level designer was and what they did. And um, they just gave me a chance and I was really lucky to do that. So that was 1995 okay. when I started. And I did mm -hmm. um, my very first game. I did a majority of the, of the levels and I also did 3D art. And that's how I got sort of started in the 3D art stuff. Um, the degrees and all that stuff came much later after I had been in the industry for uh, 20 plus years. Um, I kept getting laid off at various locations. And one of the times that I got laid off, I'm like, this is not a stable career. Um, and so I moved from um, Seattle to New Zealand, Auckland, New Zealand, um, to wow. become a uh, tutor on video game development at this um company called media design school and uh as a tutor i didn't have to have a degree as a matter of fact i don't have a bachelor's degree um i went from high school to 20 plus years of game development experience um and then teaching and then we um i helped build the first bachelor's program for new zealand um, for video game development and i had to have a master's degree in order to run the program so um, what what they did is they took my 20 plus years of, of industry experience and considered that recognized prior learning. Okay. And so, so the equivalency of a bachelor's degree. And then I went and did my MFA. So I have a master of fine arts. I'm sorry, that was a long winded 
No, that's actually questions. great because it's it's amazing that you've gone from doing bulletin boards to video games to yeah. teaching right to now doing artwork of the paranormal. Yeah. How well, did you how did you how did you start, you know, changing your artwork into that? Uh, it's I've always drawn really weird stuff my entire life. So it's just it's it's I've always been fascinated with the paranormal. Um, and so I've always drawn things like Bigfoot and and ghosts and creepy stuff my entire life. So that's not changed at all. I was um, as a matter of fact, even in New Zealand, I would sit on the bus. <clears throat> I lived about two hours away from work and I would ride the bus into work. And it gave me a really good opportunity to just constantly draw. And um I would sit on the bus and I would draw and people would come to sit down next to me and they'd see what I was drawing and they would get up and walk away. So <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oop, I don't want to sit next to this creep. Um, but it was just all like monsters and and stuff, you know, ripping things apart. And uh, a huge influence for me was the old um, eerie and creepy and the the magazines and also uh, heavy metal. Oh. Um and so I was really fascinated by that stuff, but the um, the drawing of of the strange has always been something that's been on my mind. Okay, and then so when did you start gearing it towards more Bigfoot, Mothman type, you know, actual recognized uh, cryptids and so forth? Uh, so I lived <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest for a little by a little bit. Of, I worked at Microsoft. I think that was two thousand three. And I really um, tried to start doing some things then. Um, I actually tried to set up my own website. And this is way before it was as big as, as it is now. And it was called Cryptolicious. And it was just like all these cryptid. Um, and, and some of my drawings I actually have have um, used in my new website. But um, I did the, like a Vitruvian Bigfoot, like a Leonardo da Vinci version of a Bigfoot um that's with the uh arms and all the different positions yeah. and so forth okay that's from at least 2003 okay um and i was using um oh, i can't remember the name of the service hmm. it's been a while since i've uh used it but there was a service that was prior to any of the newer ones uh where you could get your t-shirts done and sell oh. them i can't remember the name of it i'm sorry Oh, that's um, okay. But but I, I really didn't sell anything. And I started seeing my shirt design used uh, elsewhere. I hate when that like, happens. Yeah. So I just said, you know what? If, if somebody's going to steal it, they can come steal it off of my site. So rather than steal it off of somebody else's. So, um, but yeah, that's what I started doing. It's 2003. I tried to set up uh, doing shirts and stuff like that. I didn't start sculpting until much recent, much more recently. Um, so what kind of shirts were you doing then? So it was like a, the, the Vitruvian Bigfoot. Um, okay. I, I had a alien skull, um, like an alien gray skull. I had a Thunderbird, had a Mothman. Um, I don't know if I still have all of those. I, I can show you the original Bigfoot one. That might be, I'll just share my screen really quickly. Oh, it's uh, disabled. <laughs> To keep you someone from stealing your artwork. Ah, eh. okay. Well, um, on my website, there's the, the original Vitruvian Bigfoot one. And then that one is um, one of the original ones that I did for the Cryptolicious website. And again, I didn't sell much, so I decided to repurpose it now. And so I have some of those drawings. But 
again, it was all um, a Thunderbird, which is a the giant uh, eagle-like creature flying over the top of the Cessna, which I believe is the very first. Uh, in Alaska, there was a guy that was talking about a Thunderbird that swooped his airplane that had a larger wing span than his Cessna. And I thought that was a really interesting um, really interesting one. Uh, I've got a, a skunk ape drawing that I've done ages ago. So constantly trying to do those things. Okay. And then, so then you went from the artwork on t-shirts and websites mm-hmm. to actually sculpting 3D, you know, objects that you could actually hold on to. Yeah. I originally started with this um, wax-based clay called monster clay. And so it's a, it's a really good uh, workable clay that you can sculpt. But, but the problem was, is that I, I would get really good detail, but, um, but because I wasn't, as proficient at sculpting as I would like to have been, they they tended to be very large sized magnets, which makes the weight more heavy and more difficult. Oh. And, and so um, I don't know if I have, maybe this is a better way to show you. Yeah, so this is, this is one of my original um, sculptures and you can see the size of it in my hand. Yeah, that's and, amazing. And, I'll show you another one that I've recently done, which is... You weren't kidding. There's a lot of detail in those. So this is my Mothman. Okay. So you can see sort of the size difference. I apologize Mm -hmm. for the blurriness. Oh, no, that's fine. Yeah. And so the size difference, like, you know, resin's expensive, silicone's expensive, um, the weight... These are still fairly heavy objects. And then so the magnets that you have to buy have to be really strong neodymium magnets. And so I had to I had to downsize from those original uh, hand sculpts. And that's why I started doing digital sculpting in, in a 3D program called ZBrush. ZBrush. So, okay, um, for those of us who are not familiar <laughs> with 3D printers and so forth, mm-hmm. how does that work? You Do you draw it beforehand in... Um, sometimes I do. Sometimes I just, uh, it's, it's really quick and easy for me to just grab a ball of clay, a digitally ball of clay and, and sort of like pull out shapes until I see something that I'm excited about and I'll start working through that. Um, so those go pretty quickly, but basically all you're doing is you're taking, um, it's, it's kind of technical, but basically it's a bunch of pixels that are, that are in 3d space and you're pushing and pulling them. They're, uh, you can think of it sort of like a voxel as a volumetric pixel. Okay. And so as you're, as you're sculpting these box <clears throat> voxels, you're, you're uh, able to turn them around and look at them from all angles and get super fine detail in them. And then once you have that done, then you can output that as a stereolithographic file, um, which is um, basically just height, height data, like uh, height generation. And then that goes into my 3d printer. So it takes that information um, and it slices it into a bunch of layers, like micro thin layers, and um, it'll UV cure resin um, in those micro layers and builds it up until it's a 3D object. So, how long does it take you to digitally sculpt an object? I mean, and um, do you and do you usually have an uh, an idea of what you're? I mean, do you go in and say, okay, today I'm going to create a Bigfoot, you know, face. <laughs> no <laughs> no i go i'm gonna sculpt 
oh look a bigfoot face has emerged okay well and okay. then we'll continue working on it right i just start pulling <clears throat> things around until i find something that inspires me i know it's going to be a creep cryptid of some variety um i just don't know exactly which one yet and so when i start doing it like i've um I do the same thing with large format sculptures. So I used to do, um, I had my own school for a little while where I was doing practical effects and makeup and all that stuff, um, miniatures and that sort of thing. And I was sculpting full-size masks. And so I would just start throwing lumps of clay at the, at the board until I started seeing some shapes. And then I would create a thing out of that. And it's sort of the same approach that I take when I start digitally sculpting. Okay. So you have no idea what the finished product's going to look like until you're done. <laughs> Usually, yeah. I mean, there's there's times where I know that I like um I wanted to do a um Flatwoods monster. Oh, okay. Um this is not a painted one, so if you'll have to forgive me and it's not been cleaned up, but I knew the Flatwoods monster was going to need oh, to okay. be Yeah. Sort of it's kind with of hard spade, to see. with the spade shaped head with the spade shape and then the painting would be very um you know like the red face with the glowing yellow eyes and right you know so i knew those things would be um coming up um specifically i tried to cater to whatever sort of event i'm going to like the one that we were at the dogman conference um i had a lot of dogmen that i was uh, sculpting and a lot of products like um, coasters and things of that nature that I do. Okay. So are, do you ever get frustrated with, you know, the designs not, you know, coming out the way you want them to all the time. Okay. There, there's been times I've scrapped it and started up like I'll stop and walk away from it and then I'll come back to it and try again. Okay. Yeah. It, I don't have a huge amount of time for this. Like, um, like I said, Earlier, I'm in education, and um, so I, I have like five days a week that I go into work uh, to teach, but I also have a four-hour drive a day, two hours there and two hours back because I mm. live out in the country, so I have very little time, and so I usually do the sculpting and stuff on the weekends, but sometimes I wait until I know if there's a, an event coming up, and for some reason, um, working under pressure just like ignites the sparks that needs to you know it's like the frantic oh my gosh i have to get this stuff done um, and that seems to help with creativity it's like under pressure which is really sort of the entirety of the game development experience it's like we got eight months to make a game and it has to be great and you're like okay sure you know <laughs> well how long does it take once you have a design made in the computer for your 3d printer to bring it to life so um, sometimes it's like two or three hours. It just depends. But uh, you have to set it up to do specific amount of um, like UV baking. So in order to have a really strong base, it needs to set for so many seconds, you know, like 30 seconds for that original thing. And then each layer is sort of like five to 10 seconds. But, you know, you're doing thousands of layers. And so it just takes a while. Um like I said, some of them, some of them are two hours. I've had one that's been six hours. Um, but but once the 3D print's done, then um, what I do, I, I don't sell the 3D prints. What I do is I clean them up um, and then I make a, a silicone mold out of those. And then I use um, a two-part resin and create plastic 
magnets out of that. So I can show you a mold. Yeah. And how many uh, mo- uh, how many magnets or so forth do you make out of each mold then? Um, Unlimited? Yeah. It's, uh, well, no, it'll break down after a while. So like 100, 100, 150. Oh. Okay. But then I can just make a new mold. So this is this is a, a mold here for one of my creatures. And you can see it's like really stretchy yeah um and so what you what you do is you'll pour and you can see it's pretty 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 thick thick. um and then and and i found a better way to do this so i'm not wasting so much silicone but um so i'll uh do the silicone that'll set which is usually depends on what silicone i use sometimes it's 24 hours sometimes it's four hours so that has to set and then there is a resin that's like a really fast resin. So that might be 10 to 20 minutes or the one I have right now is like an hour. So each process takes a little bit of time. And then the cleanup on the magnets. Um, <clears throat> so uh, these are sort of like the unclean magnets, right? It's just got a, like a shiny back and it's got some ridges on the edges and stuff like okay. that. And so what I have to do is um, I have to um, I have to sand them down and then drill a hole and then glue a magnet in there. Okay. So there's prop, prep afterwards, and then I hand paint each and every one of them. So they're is that the Loveland frog? That's the Loveland frog. Awesome. So, which I'm I'm excited about because I've not sold any of these at any of the shows, but next june i'm going to uh canton ohio so that's my hometown okay i'm going to monster fest oh see i really wanted to i just i the timing just didn't happen in time yeah so uh i'm not gonna make it this year but i'm definitely going next year that's great yeah um from what i understand there's only 60 vendors that are allowed yeah it's it's small yeah but i was lucky enough to get one of those and it's a five-day event which i'm a little nervous about to be honest with you a long time that's a long time. <laughs> See, I think that was the problem part is that, yeah, it is such a, a long time. I couldn't get away for that long of a period. But yeah, no, that's great that you're going to be there for that. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I really like Ohio. I've never been to Canton, but uh, I've been to uh, Cincinnati and Columbus and I really enjoyed Columbus. And I, I, I didn't stay long in Cincinnati at all. So I, I, I looked around a little bit, but I wasn't able to... Um, spend as much time there as I would have liked. I just uh, went and spoke at a university and then immediately drove down to Columbus after I did that. Um, the The idea foundry there in Columbus is really interesting. And I, I was super excited to go take a look at that. Okay. I don't know if you know about that, but it's a giant maker space that used to be like a Ford yes. uh, production plant. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, if uh, Akron uh, is where the Goodyear blimps were are launched, oh, so awesome. kind of need to go and watch those take off as well. That's great. Yeah, Ohio, and then of course lots of lots of uh, Bigfoot activity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, the only problem with it is um, I grew up there, but then I joined the military, and all of my assignments were in warm climates. And so when I retired from the military, I was like, I can't go back to the snow. Oh no. So that's why I'm in Florida, but uh yeah. no, I I spent a lot of time in Ohio. So, yeah, it's great that you did that. And the Loveland frog looks amazing. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm I'm probably going to do a few different varieties of of 
what I try to do is capture a bunch of different varieties of, of Bigfoot. So I don't have, or do I? I don't. Um, what I try to do is capture multiple varieties. So like I'll have like a Yeti looking one or a, mm -hmm. a kind of a Harry and the Hendersons almost one. I have a, a patty version of one. Um, okay. And a wood booger. So anything that I do, I try to do multiple variations of. So there's something for everybody, you know? Okay. Because some people want scary stuff. Some people want like friendly stuff. Um, yeah. So where do you get your inspirations for, for, you know, the different types of cryptids? So listening to podcasts has been huge, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because you hear all the, you hear everyone's sort of like uh, firsthand accounts. And that's what really excites me about this is that, you know, each person has their own take on it. And they'll they'll say, like, I think it's a primitive man or I, it looks like there's Native American blood or uh, they don't look anything like men. They look like, you know, monkeys. And then you're like, that's a lot. That's a lot to take in, you know, so like some of them are super aggressive and some of them are helpful. I think there was one episode of, of, of a um, podcast that I was listening to where a guy fell out of a tree and broke his back and there was a female Bigfoot came and nursed him back to health. Wow. I'm, yeah, I have to find that story. I never heard that one. <laughs> I'll tell you about where I heard it later. But okay. it's, it's it's interesting because there's there's the people that say they, they tried to kill them. And then there's people say they, they helped them get where they were supposed to go and right. protected them from dogmen. You know, there's. Yeah, I mean, in uh, Ohio, there's the Medina monster, mm. which was a, a, like a 12 foot version of the Sasquatch. And the big thing about it is that. It's one of the best uh, recording sounds of a Bigfoot from, you know, so far away. So, okay. And, and I think those, I think the podcast, like you, it's very compelling to hear someone's firsthand testimony, you know? And, mm -hmm. and I think that's what really keeps things for me. Um, it keeps the, I, like I've stopped worrying about UFOs. I really don't care because the government said they already have them and everybody knew that since the forties. Right. So it's just sure. like, eh, I'm just waiting for, you know, I'm waiting for um, the revelation to come. <laughs> right. For one yeah. of them to come to stand in front of a podium and introduce himself. But there's still, there's still be very tight lipped about the Bigfoot, which I think is interesting. So yeah. um, like, like park rangers aren't supposed to talk about it, but they do. And, you know, so there's a lot of stuff like that. Military guys talk about, uh, like Fort Lewis and some other bases where they have a lot of um, activity and the, and the command is just like, you're not supposed to talk about that. So, well, see, that's why I, that's why I like the work that you do is because you're actually taking people who are describing their encounters and you're bringing them to life. Yeah. Which is kind of hard for some eyewitnesses to do. You know, they, they know what they saw. They, they can tell you what they, they had, but Maybe they're not artistically inclined. So for them to recreate it, I mean, you did the Flatwoods monster. If you ever saw the picture that the eyewitnesses drew of it, it's very simplistic and superficial. Whereas yours, you're showing more details and so forth. So it's yeah. great that you're able to take, you know, your artistic abilities and bring these more to life than the eyewitnesses can. Right. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that I would love to sit down with uh, somebody like I sat down with Tex Um and he talked about his dogman encounter and I was uh, did some drawings for him and it was sent it back and forth to him. He's like, that's exactly what I saw. And he goes, brother, you just gave me chills. So hearing that, and of course I didn't do a, 
I'm not, I'm not saying it's an excellent drawing because I'm just it's like scribbling really fastly, but um, but I was trying to capture the shapes and I was trying to c capture the attitude. And he says it wasn't like snarling; it just had its mouth open, you know. And those are like really important details. I think um, he was talked about the ears being really far back and how that was different from some accounts where they say they stick straight up, <clears throat> you know. And if you look at movies, there's a lot of people that say like this movie is more like a dog man than this movie. And so um, part of what I do as a game developer is I just consume pop culture because everything that you look at informs, you know, decisions that you're making as you're doing art or as you're doing design work. And, you know, like one of my favorite dog men's of all time were um, dog soldiers. The ones in that movie are, I so love good. that movie. Excellent. I actually made my wife watch it because she she doesn't like the she doesn't like werewolf movies because they're kind of yeah. like all the same. I was like, no, this one's different. Yeah. Like I like that one. I liked Hal. I don't know if you saw that yeah. one. Hal was amazing. And so taking those sort of like um, I, what I do is like when somebody gives me um, a firsthand account or I listen to a firsthand account. I'm like going through a database of all the horror movies that I ever watched with, with Bigfoot or Dogman or whatever, werewolves. And I'm sort of like compiling a list of those things in my head, the features. And I can sort of like visually put them together. And that's, that's how I approach it. Um, and then of course, as an artist, what I try to do as well is like, um, Someone was saying, you know, like they, they stared at me unblinking and there was no facial expression, you know, but a lot of times people put a lot of facial expression in these things to try to make them look scary. And, but if yeah. that's not what they're seeing, I don't want to do that. You know, I do have one that's got sort of like the teeth bared and, and all that, but it's not like, um, it's more like, I'm just showing you my teeth. It's not like I'm going to bite you sort of look. Those right? are show strength more than anything. Right. And, um, I have this, I have this sort of, um, because like I said, I do full size, um, masks as well. And it's been a long time since I've done that, but I like working a uh, full size as well. And I would really love to go on some sort of Bigfoot show and sculpt a Bigfoot face on show and then leave it out in the woods and see if they come out and touch it to get some fingerprints. <laughs> did you ever see the show, uh, face off? It yeah. was on the sci-fi channel. Yeah, they they actually did a cryptid, uh, Hmm. week one time so yeah that kind of project that you're talking about would be very interesting i think it would be i think it would be cool if there's a space that has like uh, um, an active you know or a seemingly active area to have something like that where they can interact with it like if if i don't know if you've seen the videos where they put a mirror out in the woods and oh yeah the bear and the gorilla just like absolutely lose it lose their mind yeah and I'm wondering if there would be something like that where they would not be happy with that representation or if they would be or, or and, and would, would they, they be curious destroy? or aggressive? Yeah. I would love to find that, that out. That would be an interesting experiment. Yeah. So okay. So now you you're you're making your 3D sculptures mm -hmm. and so you're going to events like the one in Ohio. Mm -hmm. How many events do you attend? <laughs> um I'm really bad about knowing when events are and, and it's really hard because there's not like yeah. a central location for that information. You know, I think I just got one recently, but it's still not comprehensive. And when you try to look at, look for it online, there's not really anybody doing that. I did meet a couple, I think um, he's from Argentina, but he's compiling all of the um, 
events into a, a database. And so I'm going to hopefully get with them and see where they're at. But it has to sort of coincide with times that I have off, you know? Yeah. Because, again, I'm a, I'm a professor. So, um, like, some semesters I only work two days, but most semesters I work five days a week. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but, you know, if I can if I can skip out, and I usually only work half days. Uh, I usually work mornings because of the class, the, the class that I'm teaching. And so if I can skip out on Friday and drive to that location with my stuff, then that's what I'll do. And I'll try to spend the weekend at that place and then drive back that night, Sunday night or Saturday night. <clears throat> and if it's within driving distance, I'm happy to go do it. So besides Monster Fest in Ohio, are you scheduled for any others upcoming? Um, so I did. I just got through doing Falk and Jefferson uh, events. Uh, so that's the Bigfoot events in Falk, mm-hmm. Arkansas and uh, Jefferson, Texas, which is run by Craig Woolheater. Um, he also has like, I think, a UFO event that's coming up in Jefferson as well. Hmm. It's a be- I don't know if you've ever been to Jefferson, Texas. It's an no. absolutely beautiful town. Um, and they have uh, th- that's the Bigfoot capital of Texas, apparently, they're saying. So, um, but there's events there and then I've done some other events. I would like to go to, um, I wish I lived like in the Northeast a little bit or in the, you know, like Tennessee, Kentucky, cause there's so many things around there, like in Pennsylvania and Virginia and West Virginia. Oh, uh, yeah. but that's just such a drive for me. Like Ohio is going to be 14 hours for me. Wow. Yeah. 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 They're having a, the Ocala Bigfoot, uh, conference is going to be here in june uh yep and so that's a close one for me so we're definitely already signed up for that one that's great um and then i think there's um another one that i'm looking at that i might be able to get to that is um well where is that at yeah i think uh oh um hanobi hanobi uh, um in oklahoma okay like, if if that's right the the um i don't know if i'm saying that right hanobia i'm there's I'm a not sure either there's a massive bigfoot attack that happened okay the raid on hanobi or something like that it, it i wish i could remember hold on h a n o b i oklahoma hanobia so apparently there was this um Hanobia Bigfoot. There we go. Bigfoot Festival. So that is on 40 acres in Hanobia, um, Oklahoma. And it looks like it's a pretty massive event. So I might try to do that because that would only be like a day, you know, like a six, five, six hour drive for me, depending on where it's at in Oklahoma. So gotcha. Well, you definitely have to make sure you're keeping me up to date so I can share all of your uh, events on our social media. For sure. I want everyone to get you know, experience seeing your artwork up up close. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It, it It's great being able to, um, like sometimes I do pretty well <clears> in the <throat> events, but sometimes I don't, but I always have a great time because people come up and talk to me and, and uh, we just discuss their, you know, like what they've seen or they ask me questions. And I had two like little events. I don't know that they're actually Bigfoot, but um, I felt like they were, <laughs> so I'm I'm not going to run around going that was a Sasquatch because I don't know. But um, when I worked up at Microsoft in um, Redmond, um, we were at this um, building called the Millennium, 
building, which is one of the Microsoft, um, which they, they, they own so many buildings there. But this one's over near a golf course. And then behind there, behind this building, there's a green belt. And at the green belt, they don't build any houses or any of that stuff. But there was a shooting range up there. And in the game industry, there's times where you uh, you call it crunch. They have a certain amount of stuff that has to get done at a certain time. And so many people work long, massive hours. Like there's been times where I've worked 100-hour weeks. So it's been nuts. Um, so me and a friend of mine who is also from Texas um, were there. I hired him to come work with me. Um, we're standing in the parking lot at 2 a.m. He's smoking a cigarette. We're just talking before he heads home and I head home. And we hear this like really loud, like guttural howl. Mm. And it was like the Ohio howl, you know, like forever. And, and we just kind of stared at each other. It's like, yep, it's time to go home because there was nobody else around. And it was like at night, that place is desolate, you know, because mm-hmm. it's just green belt and uh, green belt on one side and golf course on the other with another green belt over that. So it was a lot of space. Um, and then the other thing happened, my wife was driving up I-5. Uh, we had just moved, we'd just driven up north of um, Seattle. I think we we're going to Cape Deception or something like that. And she's driving and it's like I-5 traffic is just crazy. It's like I-405, I-5 um, all the way from California up is just madness on the road because there's so many cars Mm. and um, she's driving and I'm looking over into this river on the side and I couldn't tell you if it was like um, the Snohomish River, the Skykomish River or whatever it was. But right in the middle of the river, there's this big black form like trudging down the middle of the river, thigh high in water. And it's in the middle of November in in Seattle. That had been freezing. That had been freezing. And that was pretty raging river there um okay. and i think it's fairly deep as well so that thing was big and it was like walking against the current yeah and bears don't do that that not, not on two legs for sure no. they'll swim yeah but <laughs> so wow so you had two different experiences yeah and i had a third experience that i kind of got laughed at uh we were on mount um stevens no there's like three or four mountains over there. Mount Stevens was one, uh, Mount Adams. Anyway, I went up to the mountain uh, with the family. We were walking around and we kept hearing this like, oh, oh, oh. And we're like, oh, man, what is that? And my kids are freaking out. It's like, it's Bigfoot. <laughs> and we get back to the ranger station. I was like, yeah, there was this noise up here. And I did it. He goes, he goes, dude, that's a wood grouse. Like, <laughs> it's really? Making that kind of a grunt? It was like a, oh, oh. That, huh. Apparently they make some sort of noise like that. Or he could have just been trying to yeah. quell my fears. Play but, it off. Yeah. <laughs> but it was freaky enough that we turned around and went back. Don't blame you. So what does your wife and kids think of the work that you do? Um <laughs> uh she puts up with me. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, like she she's happy that I'm that I'm doing something I enjoy and and you know, I've invested a lot of time, money, and effort into it. So it's like, it's not a cheap thing. Um, silicone's expensive. 3D printer's expensive. Laser engraver's expensive. So to create um, all these monsters, I'm sure she's thrilled. <laughs> yeah. I, I, what's What's interesting is none of it's hanging up in the house. So, <laughs> so you can see 
uh, I, I just really don't do art for myself. Okay. Which is kind of weird. All right. Well, to. okay. So you, you, you're, you're selling your artwork at these different conventions and so forth, but if you can't get to the conventions, do you have a website or a source where people can go to, to purchase some of your products? I do. So my website is spelled incorrectly. I'll just say that up front. And, and, so that's part of the problem why I think I don't get enough people to my website. However, it's cryptid curiosities, C-U-R-O-S-I-T-I-E-S. And yes, I know how to spell curiosities, um, but that website's parked and I don't want to spend $1,200 for an I. So, okay. Well, I will so, be, I will make sure that I have a link to the uh, website, even yep. spelling and all on our show notes so right. everyone will have an opportunity just click on the link and you don't even have to worry about spelling it just click That's on right. the link it'll take you right there where you can see all of these uh sculptures and uh curiosities that uh mike has created very cool so uh before we go is there anything that you want to talk about that it, we didn't uh touch on no i it it was very nice meeting you at the event um it's always great to to go around. It was such a cool place to see like legends in the Bigfoot world. Like, uh, you know, like, um, oh shoot. Now my brain stops working. Barton Nunley and, um, um, Ron, Ron, Moore, Ron Moorhead, Tex. Lyle and, and Tex and Kim Earhart, all of them. And it's just, it, you know, like to be able to sit there with those guys and, you know, having people such as yourself that are that are interacting with people more on a day to day basis. I think that's cool. And and to, you know, be invited on something like this is pretty humbling. So I appreciate it. Oh, no, I loved your artwork. So I want to make sure that I got a chance to find out more about it. So this was perfect for me. Right. Thanks so much. And I look forward to bumping into you at the next conference. Yeah, man, I hope so. I hope I hope we get another one. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, for everyone else, uh, this will be time to close up our Within the Mist podcast. I hope you all enjoyed yourselves. Make sure you check out the website. And when you're looking at this different artwork, remain constantly curious. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>